The reading for this Sunday in Advent comes from Matthew, chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a clothing of camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Please be seated. First, before the sermon, I want to make a, a note of something I forgot earlier, which is those of you who are interested in keeping up with our traveling nativity figures. Kids, of course, but if grown-ups want to do it too, they have been moved around today. They're, they're making their way. You'll see that the stable is here on the altar. So keep your eye open for where the rest of the nativity figures may be. And if you find them on your way out, you can tell Pastor Gina or you can tell me and we, we may have some candy for you. So you cannot earn the love of God, but you can earn candy, I guess. There you go. (laughs) Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The young man sits at a table in the kitchen. He's 15, maybe 16 years old. Across from him sits a middle-aged man drinking a cup of coffee. It is completely, slightly awkwardly, quiet. The young man takes a bite of a chip. In the silence, the sound of it is amplified. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Calmly, without a hint of nervousness, the young man speaks. Mr. Clark, your daughter is a very good kisser. camera pans to Mr. Clark, who is not pleased. The silence is deafening, but the young man reaches out for another chip. Crunch, crunch, crunch. They stare at each other. The young man finishes his chip and then says, is Mrs. Clark a good kisser? (laughs) Suddenly a voice comes over the scene. When you crave the uncomfortable, try new spicy Pringles scorching, and then the commercial ends. <laughs> Congratulations to the advertising professionals who, in the span of 30 seconds, have managed to make me uncomfortable every single time I watch this commercial, which, if you happen to watch sports, turns out to be a lot of times. 
It makes me squirm, even as I laugh. Just the idea of sitting as a teenager at the kitchen table with the parent of the person that you're dating and bragging about what a good kisser their child is and then asking if somehow their kid might have inherited that from the parents. Ah, the whole thing is just... The message is clear. No one really craves the uncomfortable. If we do, it's uncomfortable things we can control, like spicy chips or maybe roller coasters. Not awkward, sweaty conversations at kitchen tables. Should we end up in uncomfortable situations, most of us will figure out how to escape them as quickly as possible, not lean into them and make them a thousand times worse. I mean, no one really craves the uncomfortable, do they? I don't know, I'm not sure how else to explain what we just read in the Gospel of Matthew. That John, the Baptist, as we know him, who wore camel's hair and ate honey and locusts, was a constant draw that people from Jerusalem and all of the area were going out to him in the wilderness, excuse me, and they're baptized by him in the River Jordan. John's message is inherently uncomfortable. He's out there talking about how God is going to chop down the things that are not producing fruit and throw the waste into an unquenchable fire. John says we have to prepare for this. We have to get ready. We even have to welcome this to come, make the paths straight. All of it is deeply uncomfortable. The journey out to the wilderness and the messenger and the message that we find there. All of it's inherently confrontational. Turn around, change everything about what you're doing. Prepare for a shift in the power balances of the world. And if you're a leader, as a special bonus, you get to be called a brood of vipers right to your face. It's all difficult, to say the least, and yet people keep going out there on purpose, knowing what they're going to in order to hear this. So maybe you can crave the uncomfortable after all. John's message always appears in front of us, is always held up to us at this point in the Advent season, sometime in early December. And it's always jarring, maybe because at this time of the year, so much of the sort of preparations around us and the message around us is about the opposite. It's about comfort hot chocolate and crackling flames in the fireplace and twinkly lights and nostalgic songs and favorite foods and beloved traditions handed down from generation to generation. I mean, the song says tidings of comfort and joy, not tidings of a weird locust-eating dude in the wilderness yelling about tree chopping. That doesn't really roll off the tongue in the hymns. But... Here we are, every year, hearing, not sure if we're craving, the uncomfortable. I want to invite us to consider today discomfort, some kinds of discomfort anyway, as a spiritual practice. To ask ourselves what it would be like to crave the uncomfortable. Now, 
Not necessarily those awkward, sweaty conversations at kitchen tables. And not the hard, difficult things that happen to us in our lives. I'm not saying that God makes bad things happen so that we can learn something. That's not it at all. That's not what John the Baptist is about. But rather learning to, learning to maybe embrace the deep and complex discomforts that require us to face our complicity in the wrongs of the world or our apathy about systems we don't know how to change or our patterns of behavior that contribute to dysfunction. What would it be like to crave that kind of discomfort as a part of our faith, as a regular spiritual practice? It's inherently not easy, and it's going to take time and practice, and I think some mentors along the way. So I want to suggest three completely unrelated ones this morning. John the Baptist, our mystery teenage Pringles boyfriend, and Brian Stevenson. First, John. From John the Baptist, we learn about willingness. A willingness to travel outside our comfort zones, to seek out voices that are telling us what is often hard to hear, to put ourselves in places and among people who are not just the same as everything we are sort of used to encountering in life. I've sometimes wondered why John didn't just set up shop in downtown Jerusalem for this message. I mean, he could have surely found a well somewhere if he needed water. And there's a lot of people around in a busy city. They would it'd be hard to avoid him. He'd have sort of a captive audience, people out shopping or visiting friends. Moving out to the wilderness required people to go out on purpose and look for him, to seek him out, rather than just stumble into him during their day. So why? Why not, why not be in the middle of everything? Why be way out there where they have to come look for you? Well, God's voice often comes to us from unexpected places and people, often when we find ourselves in a wilderness, sometimes the ones we choose and sometimes the ones we just end up in. we can see a certain kind of discomfort as a spiritual practice, then maybe John has something to show us about looking for it, being willing to go out and find it, willing to put ourselves in places that we're not used to, where we don't necessarily know the way home. With John, we learn that making discomfort a spiritual practice has to start with a willingness journey, at least taking the first step. All right, so willingness from John. What about the awkward teen uh, teenage Pringles boyfriend? What can we learn from him besides not to do what he does? There are so many uncomfortable things about that commercial, it's kind of hard to know where to start. But the thing that really ramps up the discomfort is the silence. Now, in the case of the commercial, it's interrupted by the crunch of the spicy chips. But I think there might be a lesson for us in the quiet itself. It is, after all, natural to many of us to jump into those awkward silences as quickly as possible. 
diffuse the strange comment that someone just made, try to take the edge off of a harsh word, head off an argument at the past before it can get started. It's easy in our own heads to dismiss something difficult that someone just said to us by reminding ourselves of why, why we're in the right. They just don't know the whole story. Silence is often the enemy of comfort and control and change. So what if we tried it? Tried at least a few extra seconds of silence in the face of discomfort. We didn't try to explain ourselves or what someone else just said or what we said or the world as we know it, but just listened. Felt our discomfort, but let it be for a bit. Pushed ourselves into a willingness to believe the words of someone who has trusted us enough to say something difficult. Took at least 30 seconds before we start calling each other a brood of vipers. Maybe our teenaged boy at the kitchen table teaches us that the practice of discomfort requires a little quiet, a listening, even, especially, when it's hard. All right, so willingness and silence, and that brings us to our third partner in this practice, Brian Stevenson. Mr. Stevenson is a lawyer, founder of a group called the Equal Justice Initiative, and author of a book that we read here together in Lent of 2014 called Just Mercy. It's also been made into a movie. You may have seen that. The book is a story of his work to reform the American legal system, which is the work of his life and of a great many other people who work with him. He has spent decades doing this work, particularly among people on, the death, uh, people on death row and young people in the juvenile justice system. He has written and said repeatedly that the statistic that keeps him up at night, that fuels him, is the statistic that one in three African-American babies born in this country is expected to go to jail at some point in their lifetimes. Now, taking on that task of reforming something as big as a national legal system is huge. It's not going to happen in one person's lifetime. With a great many devoted folks, Mr. Stevenson has made big differences. He has freed innocent people from the death penalty. He has changed numerous laws, including those around juvenile justice. And yet there is still so much more to do. And people frequently ask him, how does he keep going? Why doesn't he just feel like it's all too much and give up? How does he, how does he keep going when change is hard and slow in coming? And he, he frequently says two things that I think are especially helpful for us this morning. One is, he says, stay hopeful. He says, hopelessness is the enemy of justice. Because injustice prevails where hopelessness persists. If you have hope, you can stand up when other people tell you to sit down. But the second thing he says is this. I tried to find examples of where justice prevailed or equality triumphed, 
and nobody had to do anything uncomfortable or inconvenient, I couldn't find any. Advent is an invitation to a great many spiritual practices. Simplicity, generosity, both of which might lead you to the alternative giving fair today. Hope, practicing hope, paying attention, looking up and out, as Pastor Gina highlighted last week in the sermon, looking beyond ourselves, looking for where we see God at work. And I think today we can add the practice of discomfort. Not just enduring it or getting through it or surviving it, but actually heading out into the wilderness to look for it. The kind of discomfort that can help lead us to change and learning and justice. When we can, and we can't always, and for that we are forgiven, but when we can, when we're willing to embrace the uncomfortable for the sake of new life, when we brave the wilderness to hear something new, when we can sit in the silence so someone else can speak, when we think it's our turn to do something inconvenient and uncomfortable for the sake of the world, then behold, Jesus shows up. The path is made a little bit straighter, a little bit more clear. When we crave the uncomfortable, that crunch you hear just might be the spirit at work. Thanks be to God. Amen.